0: today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Love is calling, the Christian life is not just about learning new things, it is sometimes being reminded of old familiar things. I mean, I I want always to be in a learning mode of learning new things and how the Lord can show me new things through Scripture that maybe I've read that passage, you know, a hundred times. But then he shows me something new that is, you know, fresh and applicable for my life. But there's something to be said about not growing weary with some of the familiar truths.
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Peter. It's so easy to skim over parts of the Bible because you've read it several times and you don't think there's anything more to learn from it. But in today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that the foundational truths of your faith are so important that they are worth being reminded of, no matter how many times you've read them or been taught them. May you always be learning new things from God's Word and reminding yourself of familiar truths. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Peter Chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: second Peter Chapter One, if you have your Bibles if you 'll join me in Second Peter chapter One, two weeks ago when we started into Second uh, Peter, um, I shared with you this brief Synopsis: The writer of this book, again, is obviously Simon Peter. He identifies himself in chapter 1, verse 1, written probably from Rome, but we don't know for sure because there's no mention of his exact location. It is obviously written to believers, but no specific recipients in mind. So this is applicable to uh, all who know the Lord. And the date of this letter, uh, Peter wrote it somewhere around 65 A.D., inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is about a year after his first epistle, and this is about two years before Peter was martyred. Again, he is swept up in that whole time of uh, intense persecution of Christians under Emperor Nero of the Roman Empire, and Peter will be um, killed along with uh, the Apostle Paul during this time between 64 and 67 A.D., some of the worst Uh, years for the persecution of Christians in in that first century. So um, this is uh, his last, his kind of farewell epistle, if you will, uh, before he goes to be with the Lord. And um, we left off at chapter 1, verse 12. Verse 12, he starts out this section by saying, for this reason... I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Now, whenever you see a section that begins for this reason, you have to be reminded of what was just before that. And actually, in verse... Five he starts that section, but also for this very reason, so he 's building here, and what he 's basically building on the fact is is that we have been given a precious gift, uh, he calls it a uh, something uh, divine, a divine nature in verse four about how Christ has transformed our lives, and based on that, what should a Christian Uh, uh, look like in terms of how should we behave. And so he he adds in between verses 5 through 11 about how we need to uh, add to uh, our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. I'm reading from verses 5 and 6. And to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. He says for if you have these things, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our... Lord Jesus Christ. And so the idea here is that, okay, we have this precious gift. We've been transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as believers, we should be living in such a way that our lives are marked by these different characteristics of faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and and love. And, And these things should be abounding in our lives. These things should mark us as Christians. And then he adds here now in verse 12, where we left off, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you, circular word remind, to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. And he uses the word remind again down in verse 15. Let me just keep reading. Verse 13, he says, Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent. To stir you up by reminding you, he uses the word there again, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Notice he's aware that his time is short. And he speaks there of my decease. He knows his death is imminent. He, he understands, I mean, the, the current climate of the day at Nero and the persecution of Christians. He, he's not going to be surprised that he's going to be martyred along with other believers at this particular time. And it appears that the Lord has given him some insight into this because he says, The Lord shown me this. You know, I don't, I don't have much time left on the earth. And so he, he's writing this letter from a heart of love and compassion for fellow believers who will still be left on the earth. How are we to live? How are we to conduct ourselves? How, how should our lives glorify the Lord? And he says there are three times in these verses I just read there, I'm going to remind you of these things. I'm going to remind you of these things. I'm going to remind you of these things. You know, the Christian life is not just about learning new things. It is sometimes being reminded of old familiar things. I mean, I I want always to be in a learning mode of learning new things and how the Lord can show me new things through Scripture that maybe I've read that passage, you know, a hundred times, but then he shows me something new that is, you know, fresh and applicable for my life. But there's something to be said about not growing weary with some of the familiar truths about just being reminded of things that maybe you've heard a million times, but it's good just to be reminded again and again and again. The foundational truths of, of our faith are worth remembering, being reminded of. Uh, there, it shouldn't grow old to be reminded of some of those familiar things. So this is what Peter is saying. I remember uh, several years ago when we were in the old building, I had a, a man come up to me and uh, he had formerly played in college for coach John Wooden at ucla and john wooden i 've mentioned him a few different times over the course of of, uh, of teaching because I, I just he was an exemplary guy with um, not just a, not just professionally but as a believer. he was like one of the uh, winningest if that 's a word coaches in uh, NCAA history, I think 10 championships he, he took for UCLA. But anyway, this guy comes up to me and he was talking to me about what it was like to play for Coach Wooden. And he was telling me some stories and he gave, actually gave me a book that Coach Wooden had signed. Um, and the only coach died only a few years ago. He was like 99 years of age. And so this guy was telling me, he says, you know what Coach Wooden would do every time basketball season would start? He, he said he would take us all into the locker room, and he would make us take off our shoes and our socks. And he would sit around in a circle with us himself. He'd sit on a chair, and he'd take off his own socks and his own shoes. And he said, Coach Wooden had the gnarliest looking toes. They were all fungus toenails. They looked like, you know, Ruffles potato chips. He goes, It was just, it was just, oh. anyway, we'll have donuts later. You can think about that. But he said, It was just awful. It was just nasty. And he says, But here he, here he would sit among us, and he would take off his shoes and his socks, and he'd say, All right, now, boys. I'm going to teach you how to put on your socks. He says, because if you, if you don't know how to put on your socks properly, you're going to get blisters. And if you get blisters, you're not going to run. And if you don't run, you're not going to score. And if you don't score, we're not going to win championships. And every year he would start the season that way. I'm going to show you how to put on your socks. Now I personally to this day don't know that there's a wrong way to put on a sock. I mean, if somebody were to ask me, do you know the right way to put on? I'd be like, I just slipped my foot into it. I didn't know there was a right way or a wrong way, but apparently there is. But Coach Wooden's premise was, I need to teach you the fundamentals. Before we even talk about the game, we're going to talk about some basic fundamentals so that we can all understand and be reminded of some of those foundational things. That's kind of what Peter's saying here. He's like, you might have heard this a million times. You might know how to put on your, your socks, so to speak. But Peter's like, I'm going to remind you these things. And even after I'm dead, we're going to be reminded of these things over and over again because there's no substitute for the foundational truths. Don't get weary of them. They're important foundational things for our spiritual lives. So he says, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you always of these things. And I like the way he refers to the fact in verse 10, uh, sorry, verse 13, and again in verse 14, about living in a tent that's the word that he uses there he says in verse 13 i think it is right as long as i am in this tent to stir you up to remind you of these things and again he uses the word in verse 14 knowing that surely i must put off my tent just as our lord jesus christ showed me and of course he's using the word tent as an analogy to his body And he's not the only one. In fact, you don't need to turn there if you want to, you can, but I'll just read. From uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul used the same terminology to describe our bodies. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 5 verses uh, 1 through 8, this is what Paul wrote. He says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. "...earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life." NIV says, "...by immortality." Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God." Who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So both Paul and Peter use this terminology about how our bodies are like a tent. And one day we're going to fold up the tent and we're going to get. A permanent glorified body when we are with the Lord. But for the time being, our bodies are like a tent. And I like this analogy. The older I get, the more I can appreciate this analogy. Right, when you're really young, you, know, you, you read this and you go, tent, you know, my life is like a tent. Then the older you get, you realize, eh, like a tent, it gets a little musty, it sags a little. When it rains, like on a day like today, it leaks you know? And so our bodies are, they're temporal, they're fragile, okay? Our bodies are temporal. We, you know, unless the Lord returns and raptures us, we're all going to experience death. There's going to be a physical death, and our body is going to return to dust from which it was made because our bodies are temporal. They, they don't live forever. Everybody, everybody's trying to treat it like, like they do a tent. You know, I, I, I like to camp, and you know how it is when you, when you camp, and even if it doesn't rain, because of the dew during the, the, the nighttime, when you get up in the morning, your tent is sagging, so you have to go back out, and you have to stretch the lines. To make your tent tighter, which is what people are doing today. You know, we're just like, well, I need to make my tent a little tighter. And so they nip and they tuck and they spend a lot of money and they can't blink and they're in Botox and all this stuff. And, uh, and okay, fine. I mean, if, if you want to do that, I'm not saying that that's wrong or anything. I'm just saying the analogy works here. Okay. But the reality is the tent eventually is going to fold up, return to dust. We're going to get a glorified body. That'll never perish, never sag, never get hungry, never ache, never, you know, leak, never any of that again. And so he uses this analogy to speak about how temporal our body is, and honestly how fragile our body is. Our body gets sick. Now, God has created us with the wonderful capacity for the body to heal itself. That's all God's design. Um, but eventually... You know, so I heard somebody once say, just to simplify life and death, basically you're going to die the last thing you're sick with. There's just going to be a time when your body won't heal itself anymore. It's fragile. It gets sick. It gets tired. It it gets sleep-deprived. It gets a lot of things. And so Peter is talking here about, you know, I'm going to be with the Lord soon, and the tent is going to be rolled up. And Paul, there in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, you know, I, I, I want to be with the Lord. It's more necessary for me to remain for now. But he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That when we experience physical death, as a Christian, okay, as much as we fear the unknown, and death, and that death experience obviously is an unknown, as Christians, though, we don't fear what happens because we have the confidence in knowing that when this body has run its course and it returns to dust and goes back into the ground the moment we experience physical death that moment that moment that was that first snap was weak that moment <laughs> paul says to be absent from the body there in 2 Corinthians 5 is to be present with the lord you're going to once in a while get some well-intentioned people who are just misguided knocking at your door, and they're going to try to tell you that um, there's such a thing as soul sleep. This is what Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you. And they will tell you that, no, 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 when you die, you go into the grave, and you don't, you don't get resurrected until, until the second coming. And so you're in soul sleep. You're, you're in nothing land. That's not true. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body. The moment you die physically, your spirit separates from your body and goes to be with the Lord as a believer. And so even though we fear the unknown, we should not fear death itself because for the believer, what it means is that we pass from this life into eternity and we are with the Lord forever. And this is the hope of the church, all right? This is the hope of the church, To not just have our sins forgiven so that we might be purified before him in this lifetime, but to have our sins forgiven so that we might be purified before him and then be glorified with him. To spend eternity with him. And Peter knows his time is short here. He says, the Lord has shown me. And he says, but I'm going to be careful. Verse 15 again. I'm going to be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Here we are now almost 2,000 years later. And We're being reminded of these things, just as as he said. He says in verse 16, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. The word fable there in the Greek is mythos. We get our English word myth. He said, "We, We did not follow cunningly devised myths or fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What's he talking about there? Talk to me. The Mount of Transfiguration. If you remember in your Bibles, and in fact, I, it's Matthew 17. I'll just uh, read briefly. It's just eight verses. But in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain. It doesn't say specifically which one, but it, it may have been uh, Mount Hermon. Uh, we don't know for sure. But in Matthew chapter 17, it says this. I'll read verses one through eight. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain. By themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So this this um, miraculous thing happens, where where the countenance of our Lord uh, changes here before them, and his whole being, not just his countenance, his whole being, he's transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared. To them, talking with him, with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, "Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles: one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." What's Peter trying to do? He's trying to preserve the moment. You ever you ever been in a situation where you didn't want it to stop, like you know, last day vacation? You're like, ah, I don't, we don't, I don't want to go home. You know, this is a wonderful time. And he's trying to preserve the moment here. He says, "Maybe we should build some shelters: one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses." And while he was still speaking. Speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, "This is the Father speaking. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him." And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, "Arise and do not be afraid." And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And so, there's this unique moment in Jesus's ministry where he takes the three. Of the twelve... That were somewhat his inner circle. Jesus had a closer relationship with Peter, James, and John. Not that he loved them more or less than the others, but there was, there was an inner circle among the twelve. And you see it often. He takes Peter, James, and John aside, and he takes them up to this mountain, and he's transfigured. They get a glimpse of his glory, and they, they see in this uh, modified way just the, 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 magnus, the magnificence of, of our Lord in his glory, and appearing with him are Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, and together it represents the totality of the Word of God. You have the law, the prophets, you have, of course, Christ, who, is not, uh, who, who said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but the law might be fulfilled through me. So, you know, uh, he ushers in grace, thus our New Testament. So you have the, the, whole, the whole picture of, of the Word of God present there in the transfiguration. Peter, now writing here in Second Peter, says, I was there and I saw this, and I can testify as an eyewitness." that he was no ordinary human being you see because he's recognizing and writing this down as an eyewitness here in, in back in chapter 1 of second peter i'm an eyewitness of these things i was there when i saw him transfigured on the holy mountain i saw this with my own eyes i'm writing this down as a testimony you know this is history recorded for us historical things are written because people were eyewitnesses of things And Peter is writing an historical record uh, as an eyewitness of Jesus, of his majesty. And, And that's the word that he uses there at the end of verse 16. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he said, I I heard the voice from heaven. I heard God the Father say about Jesus, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am very well pleased. And so so he he writes this down as a record, as a testimony. I was there. He's no ordinary man. Uh, This is the Messiah that we have uh, long waited for. And verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. "...which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit." So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I was an eyewitness of, and I can can testify to the majesty of Jesus." And he said, my eyewitness account here is a confirmation of what the prophets have been saying throughout the Old Testament. There are roughly 323, a little bit more than 300 Old Testament prophecies about the first coming of Christ. Okay, and Jesus fulfilled them all, and the prophets were writing about Messiah, about Jesus, so that eventually when Messiah came, that people would recognize, oh yeah, that's, he's the fulfillment of all these different prophets. So Peter is saying here, all the things that the prophets wrote about Jesus, I can confirm, I can testify, because I was a witness of his transfiguration on this mountain. I can testify to his majesty. Oh.
0: your new life. Thanks for joining us for Pastor Gary's message in the book of 2 Peter here on Cornerstone Connection. There's so much to learn from the Apostle Peter's letter, but one thing does stand out. Peter urges his readers to spend time in the Word, letting it teach you about God as you grow in your faith. Today, you've done just that by tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. We don't need to be your only source of biblical teaching, though. In fact, we encourage you to read along with us and even study ahead in 2 Peter. It can be helpful to have some extra resources to help guide your study, too. So if you're looking for additional material, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Look under the Teachings tab for our companion resources. These are simply additional material Pastor Gary has provided to coincide with studies of the Word. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd be happy to point you to more great resources too. Just give us a call. You can reach us at 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. We've come to the end of our time with you today, but we're glad we were able to spend time with you. Join us next time for more right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a
1: wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know